Well, welcome back to another episode of Bite-Sized Virtue. This is episode four, because I'm a week behind. It's the fifth week of Lent, but this is only the fourth episode. But you know what? That's okay. It actually is going to work out, and I'll explain at the end why uh, this actually works out very well, that this particular episode is airing this week. For now, we're going to jump back into the conversation, still talking with my friend Paul. Have a listen. And at the end, I'll explain why it's actually really cool that this particular topic fell on this week. I suspect that what's really interesting to me is that um, the role of video games and stories, though. And I'd like to... I suspect that the reason... I, the, the gameplay, I suspect... of I've, I've played a couple of Ultima games. Um, the one I'm probably most familiar with is Martian Dreams. Ah. I don't... I don't. I didn't really get very far on it because I dislike a lot of the mechanics of the Ultima series. Fair enough. But I suspect that the reason why a lot of there's still a lot of fans and stuff like that now is the storyline, and I think that that for me, well, that's what drives the games I purchase is the the how the stories are, and like the like I would be I I typically play my games on like normal or easy because I just want to, I want to, I want to be immersed in the story. I'm much the same. So, I mean, like, well, I know that we are both are like huge trans RPGs, about that, but one of the really interesting things for me is that, um, I love the mass effect series oh, yes. amongst millions of people. And, um, but, I've also tried to, after, I think it was after the third Mass Effect came out, I wanted to play through the entire series again. I went back to Mass Effect 1, and its uh, gameplay had some, had some issues that were kind of acknowledged or whatever, and I couldn't almost even play compared to the Mass Effect 3, because Mass Effect 3 gameplay was so much more smooth, it had a, a lot better combat system, lots more, no, it, it was just a better play through mechanically than Mass Effect 1. But I loved this I love this I love the story of Mass Effect 1. Oh, I think it's, it, yeah. Um I think story-wise it might have been the best. It is. Um <laughs> because it just the nice thing about Mass Effect 1 is it really there's a bit of misdirection that goes on and there's yeah. a lot of mystery to it too, right? You know, it really it doesn't play its it doesn't play its hand too soon. You know, it's really not until you're getting into the final run of the game that everything really becomes clear and it's like, "Oh my gosh, like this is actually a existential threat now." Yeah. Um but I mean, and th- this is I think the um the main disappointment of Mass Effect 3 is of course the ending. Um, and it's so interesting to me, um, about how modern games, um, have developed, even from the Ultimate series, where, um, the focus is really on playing the good guy, as it were, um, I think more than, like, a lot of, um, particularly the sandbox games, some of that where there's a lot more player choice and you kind of create your own character. And for me, like somebody like Shepard, 
I know, I know. This is like one thing we we do have disagreements about is the gender shepherd. For me, shepherd's always going to be a man. For you, you always play as a female. Um, you know what? Jennifer Hill's an amazing actress. Mark Muir just doesn't impress as much. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I just I don't know, but I always and I always have an opinion of of Shepard as basically being. Um, not quite a saint because he does kill a lot of people, but as basically being a paragon of goodness and, and like trying to, he will sag, like almost being like a knight kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <coughs> to my mind, that's that's almost like every RPG, whether it's Fallout, um, like Fallout Four, I always try to show mercy. I always like I always try to almost. You know, if I can, I, I almost like want to put myself into that position. Would be like, if this situation happened to me in in life, how would I react? Well, it's like I would go on a genocidal killing of ghouls. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> at least the, the 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 good sentient ghouls. It's a bit like you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I'll try to back, avoid. But I'm like, not just gonna slaughter the whole village here. Yeah, try to avoid like overt racism and stuff like that. So, I mean, like, um, but these games, I don't think that, it seems like to me that they, um, they, uh, focus more on getting the, casting the wet, the net as wide as possible for people to be so they can like you know determine their own um subjective values rather than um anything more objective i'm thinking of also um what's that book called the um console wars i'm not sure if you've ever heard or read that book i've heard of it i haven't read it yeah i i can't remember who the author is but essentially it's basically um the history of the Sega, um, particularly around the Genesis um, time period, and um, it's the the competition between Nintendo, right? Um, so it's um, it a big part of the latter half of the book or whatever, just before um, the main character in it, um, main not main character, but like the CEO of Sega America. He um, uh, it was after I think the, the Sega CD came out. Oh right, that short-lived little system. Yeah, um, and it was a huge flop or whatever, and a couple of the games on it, it basically he got so disgruntled or like disgusted with the perceived levels of violence, like even the perceived levels of violence in like the first Mortal Kombat games. Um, it actually drove him from the gaming industry because he he thought there was an unacceptable level of violence. And of course, Mortal Kombat One, it's it's like ridiculous. Like now, we're just like we laugh of it, laugh at those kind of, kind of concerns. Um, and I, so I still kind of snicker at uh, the moralizing about video game violence actually leading to real violence. Blah blah blah. But um, but. It's 
hard to have a really huge, hugely popular game that doesn't have this kind of more ambiguity to it. Um, Because if you kind of, most of these games that are really, really significant, um, you have to have choices, otherwise it's more like a movie or TV show, a scripted event kind of thing, um, rather than players being able to be engrossed in the games. And for me, actually, some of the best storyline games I've actually ever played are the Telltale games. Um, the, so the two seasons of Walking Dead and the game A Wolf Among Us, which is oh, actually... Yeah. Um, I love that game. But also... Um, Life is Strange. Which is... which For, for me, they're kind of like a... But Life is Strange is probably the best game I've played in... To me, it's the best game of 2015 um, by a significant amount. Uh, the the Probably the next runner-up would be Witcher 3, but that one's like, yeah. <laughs> now, there's a game with a lot of violence and action. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a lot of consequences for your choices, too, which I find... Um, I found actually what annoyed me a little bit, but I kind of accepted or whatever was the the quest for the Red Baron. I think it was the Baron quest or whatever. Okay. Um, I basically chose wrongly on that, and everybody died. And I'm just like, whoa! <laughs> I was not expecting that. I thought I was saving people. No, 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 no. So I mean, like. Um, but I think it, it kind of goes to um, shows our culture, where our cultural kind of um, the cultural morass that we have, or the cultural barometer. That's probably the better word. The cultural barometer that we have, because you know, to my to my mind. Um, and this goes into the, the, the role of technology in society. Um, video games are basically the way we tell our stories now. Yeah, it's, they're bigger than movies and music combined. So Yes, and, um, you know, you know, Marshall McCollum says medium is a message. So um, if we take that as somewhat like... Um, the way the, the actual use of technology affects the message and how we perceive things or whatever. I think it's completely true. Um, I think that somebody who is a very, um, and this is why I, I tend to kind of favor the humanities or whatever. Um, and why, why I love them looking behind me, uh, and my like a thousand books or whatever I have, how many books <laughs> I have is, if you're like a really well-developed reader, you think differently than somebody who is focused on the latest latest trend, technology, gadget, or whatever. Um, it's there's not necessarily a competition between the two because I I know a couple of people who are very techy and gadgety and whatever. Um, who are also very strong readers, like read books, even sometimes even more than I do. But 
but there tends to there, there seems to me that there's a there's a distinction in play in people's lives about how you get your entertainment and how how you live your life too and how, how like how deeply you think about things um so yeah i think that's basically my point um i'm not i'm not, I'm not sure where we're going with the technology um and where we're going to be in five ten years or whatever because well, things are just moving. It seems to be like, you know, things are moving so much faster now, too. Um, you know, like, I've, you know, within the last year, how many breakthroughs have we really had with, you know, the even, like, last week with the gravity waves or whatever? Um, I think there was the one guy who was um, cured of AIDS through some kind of technique and stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who knows how we're going to be in... 10, 20 years technologically wise and like, you know, who, who knows, like, you know, we could have a huge breakthrough that, oh, look, cancer's cured. It's something, you know what I mean? Like, um, definitely. Well, and even in terms of like game technology, I mean, think about Oculus, Oculus, the, the reemergence of VR, because of course I can remember when VR was a thing back in the nineties. Yeah. Briefly. <laughs> um, so yeah, things like Oculus or like Google Cardboard, you know, yeah, VR's back in a big way. Um, or this whole AR concept, right? Augmented reality, whether that's, you know, um, the, the BB-8 app on my phone that, you know, I can point at the remote controlled BB-8 and it looks to me like he's projecting a hologram or whether it's like Microsoft HoloLens, right? Um, this was a point- Google Glass too, right? Google like, Glass, that's another one, yeah. The thought that I had, and this especially true as applies to game, or this especially applies to games, is, you know, what is the ER... I mean, already the ERSB sometimes struggles to rate games that are particularly violent, right? What is the ERSB going to do when the first, you know... Um, hardcore mod, like not not even a mod, but like what when the first like hardcore survival focused VRPG, you know, the virtual reality role playing game, <clears throat> um, allows you to you know essentially dismember your opponent by hand or disembowel your opponent by hand, um, right there in you know, glorious virtual reality. Like it's right there in front of you. Like you are actually ripping his guts out. That is, you know, that touches on your earlier comment about the disgruntled CEO and video game violence, because that's going to be a thing that is going to be a challenge that at some point we're going to have to deal with. Um, you know, it's, well, uh, I, it's I wonder like how that would affect like if you make it so real or whatever how that would affect the people who are participating in, in that particular game I like, think could, the could we, there would be drone operators actually yeah uh, well you know. yeah, yes and no because because drone operators are actually like you know theoretically they're actually killing people in real life well would we just would we would there would the, could there be a case of 
people suffering from like PTSD after doing one of these VR games and like, you know, just remembering somebody, whatever. And it just is so traumatic that, you know, um, that it actually affects their, their psychological health. I could see I, it happening. I, I, I think I could too. Um, and it's completely different from, uh, I wonder if it would be like, it's different from experiencing it on a console or a PC. Um, because you're, you're, again, you're kind of more, you're kind of more separated psychologically from what you do and what you, um, are doing on the game, right? Maybe. I mean, I think the bigger issue, uh, rather than platform is going to be the overall graphical fidelity, right? Because I mean, we've seen huge advances in that as well. Like just look at what Unreal Engine 4 or the latest CryEngine is capable of in terms of, you know, more realistically depicting a human being, right? So, I mean, as that technology also advances, you know, we're going to have this uh, potential collision of technologies whereby, you know, um, yes, you can actually murder a photorealistic or nigh-photorealistic human being in virtual reality and... Is your psyche, is the gamer's psyche going to be going to be strong enough to really be able to make that distinction? I mean, yes, you can know in your head that, you know, I'm sitting down and I'm playing this game, but, you know, is your mind in its deepest recesses going to be able to be as abstract as you are at least on the surface, right? Or will over time that have really serious psychological effects, possibly resulting in PTSD or, you know, similar. All right, I'm going to cut it off there for now. Uh, We have one more installment of the discussion with Paul coming up, and that'll be a longer one. But for now, I'm going to cut this, uh, this one off there. I enjoyed this part of the chat because, of course, we got to talking about games more. It's also really fortuitous, actually, that this part of the discussion should be aired this week because the next Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug episode, which I hope to have online tomorrow uh, for Patreon backers. Uh, So I guess if you're listening to this via Podbean, uh, that would be today. But anyways... um, that episode of SSSH is also about RPG stories, quite an in-depth discussion of them. So it's kind of neat that Bite Size Virtue and Spam 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 Humbug reach the same topic in the same week. I like that. That's cool. So thank you again for listening. We'll be back to finish up the discussion with Paul next week. Um, There probably won't be a Spam 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 Humbug episode during the week that begins with Easter Monday because... I don't think I'll be recording on Good Friday, just not in my plan. So until next time, be virtuous.